Good afternoon, everybody. Eddie Webb. We are here at the new Media Lab at Mesa Community College. It is our honor to have one of the nation's most esteemed Native leaders with us today, Dr. Winsler Nosey. Winsler comes from the San Carlos Apache Nation, Cherokee. We're really, really excited to have a conversation with you. We feel blessed to have you with us. Early on um, in our discussion, we were talking about the importance of Native leadership and how the youth see our leaders today, uh, leaders that are still immersed in traditional things, family, land, ceremony. And so we hope we get to talk about that and the issues that you have been pushing across the country. Welcome, Dr. Winsler Nosey. How you doing, brother? Yeah, I'm I'm doing great. Good to be here. So where are your travels taking you these days? Well, currently I'm going to be going up north to the Montana to visit some of the tribes there, a very short visit. Of course, you know, we're being hit right now with the media uh, on the Oak Flat issue, which Tonto National Forest is looking at uh, transferring the land December, which is next month. And so we're up uh, against a, a very small time frame. I'm pretty sure I'll be going different places, but more more than likely staying at Oak Flats while people come into the area uh, so that they can uh, uh, stand and be a part of what's happening. For our uh, listeners, can you give us just a brief history on the Oak Flat? I know it's been a long fight for you, but just if you could just give our listeners just a little bit of context about what's happening out there. Okay, well, I guess I got to start with first that the fact that this place is a holy place. It's a place that where the different tribes and the different people lived around the area. And right the centerpiece of Oak Flat is a place of where a lot of our religion originated from in, the, in what they call in English the Holy Spirit. But for us, it's the gone people, the buffer between uh, what they call heaven and earth. And so, um, you know, this is first, that's what's really important to us. Uh, secondly, what, what's happening today is if you look at it from the political uh, standpoint, John McCain through Congress gave a late night writer to give Resolution Copper exemption from all federal laws. So not only does it affect us native people, the Apaches, uh, but it affects all Arizona and all and all over in this country because uh, what does this exemption does? What does it do? You know, what does it create? And it's very ugly. You know, it destroys and it contaminates. And so... This is what we're facing right now. Uh, again, you know, the land transfer is looking at taking place next month. And so you've worked a, a lot with the politicians, elected officials to not disrupt, but to educate people on the uh, issues that these deals are bringing to the people, the hardship. And for our listeners, you know, this is the same kind of thing as if uh, we were going to go over to the Vatican you know, in Rome and decide to knock it down because, uh, you know, there's some pretty nice uh, granite over there. And we'd like to bring that granite into our kitchen, you know. Uh, it's the same sort of thing. You know, this is the holy place of your people, the church, the emergence. And there is no other place like this on the entire face of the earth. And once these companies destroy these sacred sites, they're gone and they're gone forever. That fits every criteria of genocide, right? A current 
act of genocide towards your people. Who's been instrumental in uh, helping you stop these political decisions? That Who are you working with? Just on your own? or Well, I, I guess first I have to say that it has been a long journey. And I can, kind of, I can now understand those before me who were trying to break down these barriers as well. I think the very uh, fortunate part that I guess that I held was the fact that being raised uh, traditionally, uh, spiritually, and then having the opportunity to get into the tribal government to see how government works. And so when the Mount Graham actually started with the Mount Graham issue, when exemptions were also uh, given to the University of Arizona on the telescope project with the Vatican, from there, uh, what I had witnessed was that America seemed to not understand Native American religion. And in and, and that time, uh, nobody wanted to open the doors to have that discussion. And so from the time of Mount Graham in the 1980s to Oak Flats, the same attitude was in Washington. Nobody wanted to discuss the religion. And so it really appealed to me that I needed to focus my attention in that area of why. Why isn't it Congress, why isn't it this country wanting to discuss Native American religion? So the more I got into it, then the more I, I started to find the discrepancies and really began to look at the total picture. So to summarize it, you know, if, if you don't have the claim, if you lost the identity, if you don't have the characteristics for it, then this is what they want. That's where the assimilation process comes in. Because if they can rewrite everything for you, then it eliminates your ties to these holy places. And so in the process of, of the assimilation taking place, you know, it was pretty healthy. And it scared me because not only did I see it in Congress or across this country, but I did kind of see it in our Native American people as well, too. Because one of the things that I had to do was turn back and like hold a mural and have myself and all our people look at ourselves because we had to describe ourselves. And I'll never forget what my mother used to say to me when I used to make these, you know, when I used to do things in junior high, high school. Um, and I remember her taking me aside and saying, you sound real good, you know, you're really in a proud Apache, but son, you're a victim of the past. What has been given to me, I've given it to you. So be careful what you say because you're a victim. And so from there, I started dissecting what did she mean by that? What, what did she mean about me? So it took me back to the days that when I heard my grandfathers, my uncles, my dad speak of one day we'll return, one day we'll go home. And what they were talking about was that their, their grandfather being brought into San Carlos as a prisoner of war and that all those promises that we're going to have a chance to go back to the Chiricahuas and back into the mounts, it never happened. So those people before were crying in their tears and emotionally affected by it because they didn't know who they were or what they were living on the reservation because they didn't know what tomorrow was going to be. So when my mother told me that, it really brought a really strong perspective to me that something was terribly wrong. So in order to move forward in any kind of fight, I had to have our people look at ourselves and, and make some kind of decision. Do we want to remain where we're at? Do we want to follow this assimilation process? Or do we want to pull the rein and say, wait a minute, this is wrong. And so I was very fortunate that the people agreed that, wait a minute, we, we need to stop because it's like a magnet. It's pulling us. And what I see of that is capitalism. It was building a new type of native people. 
we're lucky enough that we pull back. And from pulling back, we begin to see the picture a lot more clear. It's kind of like puzzles coming together yeah. about the, what the world really was and what it, how we should look at it, because we're the oldest people here, and we should recognize these changes taking place, and even to us. Yeah. So I think the first part of this movement was to deal with your people first, because you can't be out there by yourself and then not start the healing where it should be healed. And so for me, that was the first step. And once I got the people to see and to reevaluate themselves, then that was a total movement. So it gave me the opportunity to begin to speak strong in Congress, to, be, to, be, to speak strong in the state, and to, be, to speak strong to other tribal leaders and to religious leaders. And that's what gave me the opportunity. But it took time. It took time from the 1980s to 2004, 2005, before we had Congress to even begin to open the doors to begin to listen about the religious rights of the people. And so what I did was I stayed within that narrative and to stay strong with it, even though I wanted to go political or be angry right. here or there, right, right. but it was, you know, to stay, to stay uh, uh, on the narrative that on that spiritual journey. But uh, I have to say that, you know, in the very beginning, shoot, the percentage of anybody helping was, was other than the San Carlos people, was really not there, like 0.2, 0.3. Not even our senators in the state of Arizona wanted to listen. Because, again, you know, it, it, by going back and doing all these research with, with our own people, you know, and then looking at the political side of things, then I found that they did not want to discuss because it gives you your rights, your religious rights to these places that they could not forfeit. Everything else they could. But right. when it came to the religion, they couldn't. Right. I think... Uh it says a lot, first of all, that any Indian nation needs to go to Congress to get permission. Mm -hmm. right? that's, that's the first thing. In 1978, with the American Indian Religious Freedom Act, and then in 1992, I think we had the American Indian or Native American Language Act. And, and you see in these increments, these acts get passed at Congress, but with no no budget, right? No policy to carry those out. Nobody uh, to be leaders in every one of these areas. And then this is impacts, uh, you know, federal institutions. But there are these acts that people have fought for every generation here and there, you know. And I think what you're doing and what uh, I see from generations in your family, I've been very blessed to know four generations of your family. You all are kind of bringing all of that together, right? It's kind of a timing thing where all of these different components of assimilation or, you know, uh, resistance to assimilation. And this is an area, too, that I like talking about is inherent tribal sovereignty, not quasi-sovereignty, but inherent. In other words, this comes from our creator, right? This comes from... The, being the indigenous, the original peoples of this land. This doesn't come from permission from Washington. It has nothing to do with them. They should be coming to us and asking us for permission, right? Hmm. So there's this Cree gentleman in Canada who's fighting the same fights against mining. And one of the things that he talks about is the nocebo effect, where Indian people over history and over generations are being taught this particular identity right 
And then if they're not careful without the culture, without the language, without the connection to the land, start to live out those identities, drunken, dirty, ignorant, uneducated, right? All these things that people have been uh, labeled and seen as through art and movies and all of that sort of stuff. And the nocebo effect is when you do it to yourself, unlike the placebo effect. And so I think, again, what you're doing is bringing the people back to the original instruction. And you're, I've watched how you introduced songs, old songs, and, old, and traditional food and culture. And it has to be making a difference in people's lives, right? To go back to that original. And so the, the government has an argument about natural resources. And we have an argument. You have an argument. Your people have an argument much, much bigger than that, right? It's so much more bigger than that. This is, you know, for our listeners, when when we have an elder pass away or a young woman pass away, there's no alternative gene pool in Ireland. There's no alternative, you know, in Scotland, in Italy. This is it. When this culture goes away, when this mountain goes away, when it, that's it's gone forever, right? And this is the desperation and the call to action that we hope uh, people listening will get behind uh, Winsler and follow him and support him and his efforts uh, in many ways to save a culture, which must be an enormous task for you. You've also, I've seen getting involved, I've been over to see how you've got involved with the, I believe it's called the Poor People's Movement. How how you doing on that front? How are you? How is that working for uh, for Indian people? Well, you know, things work in a really uh, strange way. There was a Reverend John Mendez out of North Carolina uh, who came down for the Mount Graham Sacred Round years ago. And we're talking like 1991. And through mm-hmm. my, John Mendez, he started to educate people in the East about the people in the West, and, and particularly the religion. And so from there, my connections started to build with them. And just like anything else, you know, we being invited there was sharing that the Native American people had a religion, no different than the Old Testament. You know, well, you'll find a lot of uh, similarities from from the Old Testament. And so it really blew them away because, again, what you said earlier, you know, goes back to people watching TV or who writes the book. And so they really began to um, pay closer attention to the fact that they, too, did not want to be a part of destroying one religion since they've come here all for religious purposes. And so um, the education really started. I started to meet a lot of reverends. And from the Mount Graham fight, it went right into the Oak Flat fight. And then from, you know, they have their own issues too. And from there, we were able to collaborate. But what I did tell them was that if I was going to be involved with this movement, it would have to be strictly um, religion for me. Because on the political side, as uh, being one that having experience in, in the political process, they are, all, they are always having their experts debate your experts. And w- rather it be like on a water issue you know, air quality issues. But when it came to religion, they had no experts against us. And so this is why I told them that, you know, if we're going to have any kind of movement in this country, then the, and if we're going to be involved, then it's strictly got to be religious for me because they have no experts. 
Right. And and this is the way we're going to bring down some barriers. And so, you know, I, I kept the Poor People's Campaign uh, hanging on to uh, the religious side of it because in this world, you know, there's so many people that want to go political quick. Right. There's so many people that want to, because um, of the anger they have and, and being hurt for all those years, they're ready to release those angers. But when I come around the Poor People's Campaign, it is pretty much known that when I'm there, everything stays religious. And this is one of the biggest assets that Reverend Barber has really um, uh, taken a hold of because uh, it has to be implemented. You know, people cannot forget that with the prayers and especially with the Native people being involved, then there's a lot of great things that can come from that. So, you know, I have to give credit to a long line of people that from that day to today, we are where we're at. And, you know, we, we do have that platform on the religious side. And um, for me, again, it goes back to the things that I've learned and to know that uh, one of the biggest things that United States want to keep suppressed is our religion. But we have to bring it out in the right way to where, you know, many of the different people will, will grab it because they too have what we have as Indian people in the very beginning. Like I tell them, the sad thing is that you know, they were the first to be colonized, the white people, by, by themselves. Right. You know, they, they were colonized. And I said, but they're the first, believe it or not. I said, they're the first to be ready to be decolonized if they have the right leadership leading them. Because they've been in it a lot longer than we have. And what I worry about us Native people is like, it's the first time we're eating this candy bar. And we haven't let go yet. And we need to <laughs> let go of it. Right. But, you know, but them, they've already eaten it all the way down to the stick. But but they know it's wrong, right. you know. So, again, that's where I say that being in a poor people's campaign, I'm able to bring that message to them yeah. that they're living in a capitalist world. And what we're trying to do as Native people is throw them the rope to pull them back. But if they don't hang on to the rope, they're going to go further and further down. And this is where we say that we turn off the volume and we no longer are intertwined with Mother Earth and, and we lose everything from that point. And that's why it's so critical for us Indian people that we don't lose what we have. Right. That's real critical to the survival of all. And, and that's why I tell them that, think about it. You, you have your reasons of why you came from Europe here. Yes, the first batch of people who came were bad. But then from there on, from every wave that came, they were misguided and they were brought here with wrong information. And so the world took its course here with us being punished. But what we say is that in the Bible, they talk about specific things that have happened, meaning like from Moses to all those great people who brought people out of slavery and so forth. We say to ourselves, don't they even think that they were guided from a spirit to come here? Because if you look at the world, the last really strong place of a religious way is here in North America. And these people were brought here for a reason, for a spiritual reason. Because if we would do things right here in North America, in America, they call America, is that we will be the teachers for the rest of the people around the world. Because those people on the other side of the world were the ones that were suffering, were the ones that were going yeah. through all this agony. And they came here. So, but will they ever write that? Yeah. But in the Indian people's eyes, we say, they were brought here for a reason, but now it's time 
because what was evil hated us for that, but now it's time for us to rise in a religious sense, in a religious way, so that we can regroup everybody, so that we here together can make the difference around the world. And that's what I, I believe, because when I talk to all these people here in America, they're great people. They have something deep inside them, but it hasn't been touched yet. But for Native people who have kept their ways, it's, it's like a rose. It's still there yet. But we could lose it, too. And that's the scary part. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's been really, uh, you know, it's, it, it's been a really life of uh, experience in, in different avenues that I've traveled. So your work at Oak Flat has transcended itself into a global consciousness. You've tapped into this larger perspective but at the same time, understanding that the foundation of that is still Oak Flat. That's where the synergy is for you uh, and, and, and your folks. And that notion that Europeans who uh, were escaping oppression and inquisition and religious being crucified for prayers and stuff came to this country fleeing that. If they're not awake, they're recreating it. Right, And that's what people need to understand is you're recreating the very thing that you fled from, right? And so it's time. I think there's been over time, over uh, history, you'll see these moments where people want to reconnect to indigenous prayers and thought. Like Every 25 years, there seems to be a pattern of this. People get exhausted from the Western idea of consumerism and the emptiness of it all. And they're trying to connect back. Uh, I think Black Elk spoke about this, you know, the sacred hoop, you know, and that sacredness is wherever your feet are, you know, wherever you stand, that is sacred, right? I think it's important to work through these ideas. Uh, you know, Indian people have always been people of, of commerce, of trade, of, of marketing, of economies. But there was that, like you say, there was that spiritual foundation, you know, that using the resources, in my dad's language, they say, you know, the creator that gave people and we're the stewards of these resources. And when you get into these, the Eurocentric view, it's as if these things were there to exploit, you know, for the benefit. And so you have this sort of, already this sort of organic conflict about consciousness, right? That's a lot to take on, man, you know? That's a lot for one person to take on. Uh, but you're doing uh, exceptional work in raising consciousness across the, the country and, I'm, I'm, I guess, the globe now. Where do you think this is all going to go? Uh, well, you know, I, I, I think the teaching is real critical, and, and the finding of what these founding of so-called America is, the definition of it. Because you know that when time goes by, we're always modifying. We modify to meet the needs. Well, it's the same thing here, you know, as far as the way United States was created. It's time to remodify that. Because I'll give you an example. This is one of the things that I tell the white Americans. Is that in my discussion with the, with the Congress of the United States and my backdoor discussions, one of the things they tell me is that 
Mr. Nosey, look at the Constitution, look at the laws. And I said, okay, I did that. So let me ask you a question. So you tell me that, now this is just strictly in the discussion of religion. You can tell me that in Europe, there are laws, European laws, that protect sacred and holy places that tie to your Bible. And everybody in America can go back to Europe and touch these holy places in Europe. In North America, there's the same identical holy places here too. So you're telling me that when a fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth generation of white Americans that come here, that are born here, that know only America and know nothing of Europe, then you're telling me that, and I said, I just need a yes or no. So you're telling me that a child born here and feels the Holy Spirit in this mountain to you is not classified and they don't, they don't, they will not be given that because they're from Europe. I said, that's what you're telling me. You're telling me that any non-Indian that stands with me on Oak Flats and had the proof, the witness, the feeling, the spirit, the touch of the spirit, you're telling me that that's null and void because they're from Europe. They don't want to answer that because in their view is that there's, that's the reason why they don't protect holy and sacred sites here because in their way of belief is that they're not from here. So any of these holy places mm. that they will protect is in Europe, but not here. Right. And that really has saddened me because in the religion, in any kind of religion, wherever a child is born, that is there now their home. And there's a reason that they were born there. There was a reason why they came here. So that child should have the same rights as our child because if we're talking about one creator, but in the way the system the United States has set up is that they're not going to give their own people that mm. because they want them to stick to the Bible because the Bible makes reference to Europe. And so this is how colonization, this is how capitalism can move forward because the Oak Flat issue, the Mount Graham issue, and all these other issues, you, you, you don't have their support, even though people support you, is because of how the United States is set up. And it's time, that's why I said in the very beginning, it's time to modify those areas in the Constitution because the capitalism, the owners of this country who dictates to our leaderships, presidents, Congress, you know, they still have their system in place. Yeah. So it's an argument. It's a religious argument across this country that needs to take place. Right. And that's where I hope I will get this to yeah. because there's only one God and, and we are all under that one God. You know, even with the history of the Constitution, if you look at the wampums from the Iroquois Confederacy, you can see how the Constitution was a derivative of Native thought. You know, that one God, right? individual rights, resources to benefit the whole, all of this stuff. Um, the, I did the work with Gregory Shaw. who We actually got a resolution. I forget what if it's 50 or 75. I'll show it to you here in a minute. But where we took the wampums and then the Constitution and just went right down the right down. You could see how Native thought. But what, what you're saying, they then corrupted it 
with this Eurocentric view, like women couldn't vote, women couldn't own land, Indian people weren't citizens, right? And so that stacking of uh, reason has caused a lot of suffering for indigenous people. And the point that you're making, I think, I hope people hear, is at this point in history, it's not only hurting tribal members and indigenous people, but all people, right? Even mm -hmm. the Euro-American person who feels this connection to spiritual and sacred places is being denied that same right. And maybe that's how it has to happen. There's a great book, everyone, called The Basic Call to Consciousness, in which uh, Native leaders from all over North America went to Geneva and presented these arguments about sacredness and righteousness and reason and why the same thing that was happening then, back, back then it was the coal mines in northern Arizona under Broken Rainbow of the Hopi and Navajo relocation program. This scenario we have here that you're fighting for is exactly the same thing, right? It's just a different face. Same policy, same practice, same assimilation, same aggressiveness towards uh, the how their worldview sees natural resources as opposed to how uh, Native people connect to these places. If anything out of this conversation, I hope people hear it is that, right? That this is a spiritual movement, not just for specific tribes, but for all people. These sacred sites bring energy and consciousness and holiness to the earth as a whole. Right? This whole earth belongs to every human being. And when we destroy a sacred site that for the, the Cherokawa, for the, the Apache, we destroy that sacred site for all people, right? That's right. And this is the message uh, that Winsler has taken. He has put himself at risk. I think we all can look back and know for men and women who have stood up for poor people, for oppressed people, that there's a long list of people that have suffered behind taking that role and that leadership. You could start with Jesus Christ himself, and you could move it right on down the list. Sitting Bull, Crazy Horse, Martin, King, Malcolm, Kennedy's, uh, a lot of unnamed people who have lost their lives in this fight, not only here in America, but across the globe. And so we want to acknowledge that today uh, with Winsler here with us that we feel very privileged, sir. We recognize who you are, who the creator made you to be, that you're living out uh, the instructions at the, maybe the uh, peril of your own, your own being and your own welfare. And we want our listeners to understand the sacrifice that this man has made for you. Because I can tell you, as somebody that's been behind the scenes filming and stuff in this area and watching this man grow, uh, he's the real deal. And I hope that you all will get behind him. And we really appreciate you being here today. Is there any kind of closing comments you'd like to make to the youth listening to us today? I think what's really important in the way I was brought up, that you already know when it's wrong and when it's right inside of you. And that's something that's really precious that you need to listen to. 
Because when you listen to that, it guides you in the right direction. Because it's already a gift from the Creator. No one can change that except you. And I say that because a lot of the old people before me would mention it. And I always left it there, that when it tells me it's wrong, it's wrong. I live by that. And so in the way the world is today, that's one essence that you cannot lose. And if I can leave you with anything, is that essence that you have already will take you back to the holy places. And you will understand it. Thank you. Wisdom from our elders and our leaders here today. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. And uh, in my dad's language, again, they say, We'll see you again. Everybody, please take care of each other out there. Royalty-free audio, Grinnell Line Dreams, by Kevin McLeod. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. You can find more of his work at incompetech.com. The Maricopa County Community College District, MCCCD, is an EEO-AA institution and an equal opportunity employer of protected veterans and individuals with disabilities. All qualified applicants will receive consideration for employment without regard to race, color, religion, sex, sexual orientation, gender identity, age, or national origin. A lack of English language skills will not be a barrier to admission and participation in the career and technical education programs of the district. The Maricopa County Community College District does not discriminate on the basis of race, color, national origin, sex, disability, or age in its programs or activities. For Title IX 504 concerns, call the following number to reach the appointed coordinator, 480-731-8499. For additional information, as well as the listing of all coordinators within the Maricopa College System, please visit maricopa.edu slash non-discrimination.